Oh, it's wonderful to be back here in, in church with y'all. Um, thank you, everyone, for your prayers. As I've also said many times today, and people have asked, yes, we were in a bit of a car accident. Our car has been totaled, but we were all fine. The car was in good enough shape. It drove us another 45 minutes to our friend's house, so we had a place to stay the night. Um, so, yeah. You know, I, thank you, everyone, for your prayers. We really appreciated it. Well, welcome to worship. It is Sunday, uh, September the 13th. I'm glad you are all here today. Are there uh, any announcements anyone wants to specifically raise? I'll jump into what's in here then. Over. Well, just a reminder, Bible study will be picking back up on Zoom this Tuesday. I open the meeting at 6. We actually start the study at 7. Um, in here, I see it has the password. Um, when I send out my update email this week with uh, things, I'll make sure I include that again because I know it's been two weeks since we've had one. Um, Constitution review, just a reminder to all board members to review that, make any changes, um, and send that over to Doug uh, as soon as you're able to. The September camp newsletter is available. It's online. Um, the information's right here in your bulletin if you need it. Uh, for those of you who go to Acme for Shopping, don't forget that the community cashback program has started again. And last but certainly not least, don't forget we have mums coming up. So the order sheets are in here. I'm saying this, but I'm now going to look at Becky's not here, so I'll look at Christine. We're still doing mums and everything, right? Yes. All right. A little out of the way, out of the loop, but still. Yes. All right, so as you may all already know, um, my brain just hurt. Yeah, that actually was something else. Um, we do have the new email, um, and Bonnie has very graciously jumped in to help us with the new prayer chain email and, and help um, as our sister Pat is getting ready for her surgery and all that, and so Bonnie has volunteered to take over that position. Um, she's still getting to know it, and she says in a day or two, um, she'll think she'll be at 100% ready to go with everything on it. I'm getting emails, so I'm going to mute that so you aren't all hearing my emails come through. I encourage you to look over the list of prayers. Um, in your bulletin, uh, rem there's so many in here. Please keep them in your heart, I especially, to raise up um, Karen Fergus's family and Doran Young's family.
Okay, I'll use this one. As they're still getting used to a new normal um, without their loved ones being here. Are there any other prayer concerns you wish to live? Sorry, say that last bit again. I'm heading for Steubenville. You're heading for Steubenville, okay. Okay, so. So, uh, Logan, who was on our prayer chain, just uh, is doing better. He's doing well and traveling mercies and whatnot um, as, as Gail prepares to travel. I was uh, asked to raise up Janet again. This is uh, Joyce's sister who had COVID earlier. Um, She's back not feeling very well and dealing with some energy and heart issues. So prayers for them as, as she struggles with this. What is your father's name again? I thought so. Thank you. Prayers for Bob. Um, Renee, I have not had enough coffee this morning. I'm just dropping things left and right. Renee's father, who has is, is been still recovering but struggling with it. If you will, then, let's turn our hearts to God as we listen to our opening music this morning.
you'll pray with me. Holy Creator, as we come and worship you together, we lift up our brothers and sisters who are at home, who are here with us, for those who are in faraway places. We ask for their healing, for their comfort, for your presence. We lift up Bob and Janet and Logan. We lift up the Fergus family and the Young family. We know there is power in our prayers together, in our hearts aligning with one another, with reaching out to you, and we know there is power in you. We thank you that we are able to do this. Give us strength to keep on praying, to keep on worshiping, to keep on reaching out to you. In days when it's easy and in days when it's a struggle. We thank you for all these things. And in the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. is a story bought by grace love unrelenting called my name oh what a mystery oh what grace I am changed all my affection
affection, all of my praise, all my devotion for all of my days. Pour out my worship, lift up your name, Jesus, you're all that I needed and Acts chapter 18, 1 through 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned, in the, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Greeks and Jews. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But they opposed Paul and became abusive. He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, "'Your blood be on your own heads.'" And he left. Uh, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. 
Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the home of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Blessed is the word of God. Amen. I like to complete tasks. That may al alone may have been why I stayed in the restaurant industry as long as I did. You get results working in restaurants. You start with raw ingredients and a kitchen unset. And by the end of your shift, you have, hopefully, satisfied customers and a kitchen that just needs a little bit of mopping to bring back to perfection. Within the space of a shift, you can see the results of your labor from beginning to end. And you have little victories all along the way, such as when you have the blender running, and you slowly add the oil to emulsify with the eggs and mix with the ground anchovy, the lemon, the roasted garlic, the Dijon mustard, and that strong, hard Parmesan, and turn it into a delicious Caesar dressing. And then taking that and mixing it with that fresh-cut romaine I did a little while ago, along with the croutons that I had seasoned and baked and toasted and more of that cheese, and then plating it with that chicken breast I just sliced up. I didn't cook it, I was on the salad part, but I received it. And then adding the last few decoratively placed anchovies and then sending that off for someone to enjoy. I will warn you, I hope you've eaten before you came to church today. I've got a lot of food analogies today. I love cooking. I love the fact I can turn around and see all of my work coming together, making this great product. It even makes the unpleasant task more enjoyable, like even cleaning bathrooms, pushing the lawnmower when it's really hot out. It makes it worth it for me. Now, I do have my limits, as everyone does, those jobs that just no matter how much it looks good at the end, we never really love it anyway. I don't do painting very nicely. I don't like it. Nope, nope, nope. But there's a lot of jobs like that where it may not be pleasant to do, but at the end, I love that end product, to look back and see what I accomplished. However, it's not always apparent in every job you do. I remember this becoming really apparent when I switched to becoming a summer camp counselor. I had done a couple years working in the maintenance staff and a year before that working on the kitchen staff. I enjoyed working with the kids more. I enjoyed the counseling, the programming, the Bible studies, the arts and crafts, the nature work. I enjoyed that more. But you don't get to turn around and see those nice long lines of freshly mowed grass. You don't really ever get to see what your work did 
I mean, yeah, you're, you're working for a product in the same way. You're, you're working to create this wonderful camp experience for these, these young people. But you don't really get to see whether it worked out well or not. You get a little bit if you do it year after year after year. You know, I was there for eight years working on programming staff, so you get to know a few of the kids. Paul, I think, is a little like me in terms of he likes seeing his results. I mean, he's not used to waiting at the very least. That's what Acts seems to lead us to believe. There are periods, often years at a time, where Paul does just live. He lives in one place or in another, and he appears to be just doing his job, going to church, preaching. But then he goes on these mission trips. These two take years at a time, but I mean, to be fair, he's walking everywhere. And then, I mean, that walks a lot of places. It's to be expected. And then where he goes, it always seems a new church pops up almost immediately. He goes in, he finds the local synagogues, he preaches. People either believe or they try to throw him out. He gets results until he gets to Corinth. All right, I ask you to picture Greece, modern-day Greece, in your mind. There's mainland Greece, which is kind of like a bent triangle, kind of bending off to the south and east. And then there's this huge island that butts right up against it. It's actually a peninsula. It's called the Peloponnese Peninsula. And it's connected by this little four-mile-wide isthmus. And that's where Corinth sits, right there between the mainland and the peninsula. It controlled the flow in the ancient days between Athens and Sparta, the two great powers of Greece. And as time moved forward and Sparta became less powerful, it became itself one of the main powerhouses of Greece. They were the ones who gathered the Greeks together to fight off the Romans. It didn't work out well for them as is a lot of history of those who often opposed the Romans. Instead, you know, the war ended with the city of Corinth being razed, burned to the ground, and then the Romans resettling it with their own loyalists. This is where Paul finds himself, a busy metropolitan area with ports on two different large bodies of water and a major overland trade route going right through the middle, mostly populated by the descendants of these Roman loyalists. Now, Paul discovers something then that most modern Christians already know. In fact, he probably already knew this, but he ever never encountered it so strongly. Not everybody has a response to the gospel. Paul was used to a response. People joining him like Lydia, the purple cloth dealer, or people reacting by trying to have him beaten or killed or thrown out. But he's not getting anything here. He's being ignored. Now, perhaps it has something to do with that, the fact that this is Corinth, 
This is a major trade route. People and their ideas and their faith is moving through as ephemerally as the wind that carries their boats back to sea. Paul is just one more outsider with some new idea. Now, while he is stuck there, getting nowhere, he's working on the side. He has joined Aquila and Priscilla. Now, Paul has been a Christian now for well over a decade. You know, we're talking, he's, it's been about 14, 15, give or take years since his moment on the road to Damascus. Luke has written a lot of his story. And yet it's now that we finally learn that he had another job. I don't know why. I mean, he's been all over the Northeast Roman Empire. He talks about it in his letters. He says, I've worked with my own hands over and over again. He even tells about how that often funds what he does. But we never learn about it until this moment. Now, he calls himself a tent maker, which is a little unclear. It may mean that he is a cloth maker, which would be a little unusual. Tents weren't usually made out of cloth in this area. I mean, it's fine if you're out in the deserts, but you're in an area where it rains. It probably means he's a leather worker, someone who specializes in making large pieces, not taking raw leather and turning it into tents. It would make sense. Leatherwork just had a few small tools. He could carry that in a satchel wherever he went. He'd go into a town, knew he was getting low on funds, buy some leather with what he had, rework it, and sell it off. That would be easy for him. And these tents were used by all kinds of people, shepherds, the Roman army, um, caravans, traders, but he had to take each piece, carefully cut it to fill its spot, stitch it to, with, uh, to be made for strength, and carefully cover each seam so that it would protect its inhabitants from wind and rain. Leather's tough. I know I'm not preaching to the choir on this. I'm sure many of you have leather belts or leather shoes or a leather jacket. It's a hard material. It'll stand up against a lot of things. But because of that, it means it's also hard to work with. It takes strength and endurance and a lot of patience. As I said, I wonder why this is the first time Luke bothers telling us about the trade, about Paul's trade, when it seems like it could have come up at any point earlier. I think it comes up here because Paul isn't getting anywhere with his ministry. He's stuck. I can't help but draw connections with my own life, my own tendencies to find projects that I can see from beginning to end and see where it went and see my completion whenever I feel a need for an easy win. Yes, if you come to my house and I'm doing a deep cleaning project somewhere, I'm looking for the easy win because I need it that day. I think Paul was not only partaking in his task because it's what he did to earn his bread, but it's being mentioned here because he's distracting himself from the fact that he's not getting anywhere. 
but you can't always force results. I had a result yesterday. It made me really unusually happy. You see, I wanted to have a hummingbird around. I know, that sounds a little weird. I love hummingbirds. They're amazing little creatures. So now I have my own house where I can put a hummingbird feeder out. So when it first got nice and warm and the flowers starting to get out, I went out and got a hummingbird feeder and I put it out. And every Sunday after church, I get home, I go out, I grab my hummingbird feeder, I take it in, unscrew it, empty it, wash it all out, make it nice and clean, refill it with fresh nectar and put it out. Do you know how many hummingbirds I've had all summer? None. Eventually, I kind of stopped being so diligent. By the time I left for vacation, I had touched that thing in a couple weeks, and I'm sure the nectar was completely dried out. Came back home. I'm sitting in the backyard yesterday at my table, working on part of this sermon, when something caught my eye. I was surprised. I got a hummingbird. All it took was me not letting the flowers that hang in the pots by the back table from dying. I had to be patient. I'm not easily a patient person. I don't think most people are actually very patient people. Like we have things we're patient with, and then we have everything else. We can't make plants grow faster. We can't force food to cook quicker, and tomorrow will never come any sooner than what the clock says it will come at. And as I have to say many times when working in a restaurant, I'm sorry, a well-done steak takes a lot longer than a medium. All things come in their own time. Having a toddler has pushed my level of patience to new extremes. Sometimes it's me reminding her that things will come at a certain time and doing my best to distract her from the fact that they aren't there now. She got very upset when grandma and mom went off to the store without her. I can tell you, an hour and a half takes a very long time for a toddler. Sometimes it's me who has to learn the patience, though. For instance, the most exciting thing I have now found as a parent is watching your child play with a new toy for their birthday or Christmas. That's, that's so fun to watch them unwrap. My daughter doesn't like to unwrap gifts at all. And if you unwrap it for her, no. That, that, that's recipe for a meltdown. I have to relearn a new kind of patience as I slowly coax her into exploring a new gift. And with the number of gifts that grandma and grandpa and mom bought, it took quite a while. Actually, eventually we waited till she was in bed, we unwrapped all the presents and then put them out and that was okay. Of course, I had some unexpected learning of patience this last week in dealing with insurance and car people and all that jazz. I don't know why they close at four. If they tell you things at three, and then they don't pick up the phone. 
Anyway, there is one tool in the kitchen, though, that always requires patience. It's your slow cooker or your crock pot. You can't mimic its ability easily. Even in fine dining restaurants, I remember our chef would have to come in early on the days when we were starting to get low on osobuco. Osobuco. Man, I can't say it all of a sudden. Or the pot roast. He'd have to come in first thing in the morning, and we were open until midnight just to get those things cooking, but because you can't mimic it any other way. And by the time you run out of it, you can't remake it. It's, I'm sorry, we're out till tomorrow. You can do the same thing with your little slow cooker at home. But there are still rules you have to obey. There's certain things you don't put in it. You don't go out and buy a cut of filet, uh, filet, ay, 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 filet mignon and put it in your slow cooker. That's a bad idea. First of all, you're not going to get any more flavor out of that cut of meat than you would have normally gotten by doing that. And second of all, it's just going to fall apart. There's, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Slow cookers are for those tough cuts of meat, the ones with lots of connective tissue, where that slow and steady heat slowly breaks that down and leaves you with pieces that cut like butter creating new delicious flavors that you can't get any other way. I don't think in this story that Paul gets it. He's used to quick successes. He's seeming to chomp at the bit to find it here in Corinth. He's looking for filet mignon. He's joined by Silas and Timothy. He sets down his tools that gave him those quick, easy wins, and he goes full force into evangelizing. And he tries to serve chuck cooked on the grill. You can't do chuck on the grill at a high heat. It doesn't work. And he ends up burning his relationships with the local synagogue. Now, he doesn't burn all of his bridges completely. He does get some wins. He finds Titius Justice and Crispus. And then we learn that there are others who join. But it seems like Paul's a little burnt on Corinth himself. He's ready to move on. He's ready to get out of there. It seems that maybe he made a few people angry. He no longer feels safe. I think he's also just dog-tired from forcing things and not winning. But God stops him and tells him, stay and keep preaching. You'll be safe. So he stays for that year and a half. A year and a half. He's never stayed in any one place and preached so long. That wasn't where he already lived. Now, Corinth will eventually become a major center for Christianity in the, in, in the years. I mean, Paul writes his letters to the Corinthians, two of which that we still have in our Bible. We've lost a bunch too. But it took a lot of time. Paul had to come to realize that he couldn't dismiss the tougher cuts just because they didn't warm up so quickly to the gospel. He had to take his time and keep preaching, allowing the meat to marinate and the slow cook to loosen up to hear the gospel. 
got to take your time. You got to be patient sometimes. I don't know about you, and I feel like I probably have said this more times than I need to, but it's hard to watch the news. It's hard to watch things going on out in this world because it kind of feels like sometimes, why am I bothering trying to be a good person? when it feels like the world's on fire around me. Sometimes we want to be like Paul and say, you know what? I've done my job here. It's time to move on. God reminds us that just because we don't get the quick and easy answers, just because things don't change because we did that one good thing, doesn't mean you give up and run. It doesn't mean that good things aren't coming. Sometimes it means you stick around and you keep working at it and keep being the kind of person Christ has called you to be. I remember a little factoid that came across somewhere. It was an interesting little thing talking about people and health food. What they found was that people who bought healthy food at the store were often ruder to the customers, I mean, to the, the staff at the store. You can tell me if this is true. Oh, yeah, I'm getting a nod, yes. <laughs> and what they kind of discovered in, in working at this is when people thought they were doing this one little good thing, then that did their part, that they were done the right thing, and now they could be mean or rude or unkind to others. It's that same kind of thing. Paul does that one little good thing, and he's ready to be done. Keep pushing. Paul learns to keep pushing. Corinth will eventually become a center of Christianity. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have the two letters to the Corinthians. We wouldn't have these big, thick, beautiful letters filled with theology. Paul learns to push, to keep trying, even when he's not seeming to make any headway. So, while living the way Jesus has called us is not always easy and not always the fastest, it will get you where you're going. So keep trying. Don't give up. Don't feel like you did your part. Now you can just do whatever you want. That's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is keep trying to be a better person. Keep trying to live the life that Jesus has called you to. And if you don't get there today, that's okay. Have a little patience. You'll get there eventually. Thank you.
as you go out this week, may you find patience in your life. May you find that the path that you are walking, the path that God is leading you on, will get you where you're going. But I'll also know that the flower will only bloom when the flower is ready to bloom. So may you keep watering it and fertilizing it as needed. And may you find, when you get to the end of the path, that you really were going exactly where Jesus has been leading you the whole time. And that's exactly where you were supposed to be. Blessings on all of you this week. And may you find where you're going. Amen.